Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our horror celebration my favorite month of the year is October for recording because it's all horror. My house is finally starting to be horror decked out, which is just so awesome. The theme we've got going on is skulls, bats, and black and purple. But we've also got this little string of lights that has Freddy Krueger's head on it. and <laughs> So then we've got little things thrown in there. We've also got a demon baby. And then in my room, I've got shocker here, but I've got a Michael Myers thing and clingy in my window. So if you walk up and you look up, you see Michael Myers in my window. I had one last year too. And so, yeah, so I'm excited about that. I know we haven't gotten to what we're talking about yet, but I just had to share that because I love this season. It's my favorite season. I love the fact that all I'm watching right now are horror things. So it's been so much fun. So tonight we are talking about someone that, you know, he doesn't just do horror, but that is where he really got his start or got his recognition from. And and I think he does amazing work. And that's Guillermo del Toro. And I have with me Bex, who's very excited to talk about this. We were supposed to have Susie on, but sadly she couldn't come on. And I know she really wanted to talk about his work. So shout out to you, Susie. Share in the comments, Susie, some of your thoughts um, on the comments of the episode. We're not live or anything, but share some of those thoughts. And then also just, you know, people that listen, give us whoops, give us feedback too on some of your favorite movies, uh, some of your thoughts on him as a director overall. So a little yeah. bit about Guillermo del Toro. Um, Guillermo del Toro was born on October 9th, 1964. This is all on IMDb, so I hope you're okay that I'm giving your age, sir. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was raised by his Catholic grandmother, and Del Toro developed an interest in filmmaking in his early teens. Later, he learned about makeup and effects from the legendary Dick Smith from The Exorcist, 1973, and worked on making his own short films. At the age of 21, Del Toro executive produced his first feature, Donna Herlinda and Her Son from 1985. Del Toro spent almost 10 years as a makeup supervisor and formed his own company, Necropia, in the early 1980s. He also produced and directed Mexican television programs at this time and taught film. Del Toro got his 
first big break when Kronos from 1993 won nine Ariel Awards, the Mexican equivalent of the Oscars, then went on to win the International Critics Week Prize at Cannes. Following his, this success, Del Toro made his first Hollywood film, Mimic, from 1997, starring Mira Sorvino. Del Toro had some unfortunate experiences working with a demanding Hollywood studio on Mimic and returned to Mexico to form his own production company, The Tequila Gang. Next for Del Toro was The Devil's Backbone from 2001, a Spanish Civil War ghost story. The film was hailed by critics and audiences alike, and Del Toro decided to give Hollywood another try. So I'm very, very excited to be talking about this man's work. So we're going to be doing it basically talking about his early career. Then we're going to go to the 2010s era and then to present day. Uh, before we dive into that, though, sorry, I almost forgot to ask Bex what she's into right now. I almost just <laughs> right ahead to the main meat of what we're talking about. So what are you into right now? Well, I think I talked about Bad Sisters last time, so I will skip that one yet until it's totally wrapped up. But I'm that's the closest to horror, I guess. It's a murder mystery. But I am... I just finished watching season five of Cobra Kai. <laughs> and Cobra Kai to me is one of those shows that's like so bad it's good. Like it's just super cheesy. It really leans into that 80s nostalgia and the over the top heroes and villains. And the fight scenes are just like one, two, three. Everybody's like karate chopping everybody else. And it, but it doesn't take itself too seriously, right? It like it understands that it is mostly a show for people who are nostalgic for karate kid movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still haven't watched it. So. No, I mean <laughs> someday. It's not, it's not it, for everyone. I think there's gonna be at least one more season the way they ended it. Um, I hope there's another season the way they ended it, but <laughs> one of the main characters, uh played by Zolo Maridueña, he's going to be in the new Blue Beetle movie that's coming out. So I don't know what his availability is going to be in terms of filming and that sort of thing, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, well, and I mean, I liked Karate Kid as a as a kid. <laughs> uh, we'll probably <laughs> cover that movie at some point, you know, oh. I mean, because we have so many Gen Xers and millennials that listen to us. So I'm sure we'll cover it at some point. So All right. I'm sure if we do that, we'll probably do it like a double bill and cover the sh cover the show mm -hmm. and then cover Karate Kid or cover Karate Kid and then cover the show. That kind of gotcha. Thing. Yeah. So the, one of the things they do is they bring back a lot of um, like, and they're not even cameos because they like have full roles. Like they bring back villains from the films as mm. they are now and it's the same actors and so i keep joking like i'm just waiting for hillary swank to show <laughs> because <laughs> even though she wasn't in them with the core cast that's in the show she was in with um pat pat marie marita yeah marita? right is that, his, that name? his name i'm getting the thumbs up from across the room so okay. i'm gonna okay. i'm gonna go with that um you know he, she did the film with him so there would be like a way to explain that that crossover i just want to see her come into that for <laughs> for nostalgia's sake well fingers crossed that happens then thanks <laughs> So like I said, all I'm watching is horror, and most of it is just in preparation for the podcast, so it's nothing new. 
Once again, go watch Barbarian. Yes, I am going to be harping on this movie forever. You're just going to have to deal with it. So go see the movie and you'll see why I am going to be talking about this movie until the end of the year at least. But I have been re-watching the Purge television series because we are going to be covering the Purge. And usually I don't I don't talk about stuff that will figure into like our episodes later. But I decided to do this one because this is going to be towards the end of our horror month. And um, I think this television show is really good. I'm a fan of the Purge series. I know there are a lot of people that aren't. I understand. I understand the issues with these things. I understand, you know, how it's not everybody's cup of tea. I totally get it. It's like the most, the closest thing to torture porn that I actually like, even though I don't really even consider it necessarily torture porn. Um, But I like them because I I think they're fun in some kind of sick way. And I also just think this is something that could actually happen (laughs) in the United Mm. States. So I'll be honest, I do. And I think the television show is actually better than the movies. And I'm really sad that it wasn't renewed for a third season. So I'm recommending this. If you, even if you haven't been a fan of the movies, but you're a fan of horror and you can take what The Purge is about, because if you don't know what The Purge is about, you know, it's an annual thing holiday in America that becomes instituted where all crimes, including murder, are legal. So people commit crimes for 12 hours every, every year. And, you know, you can't call the police. You can't call ambulances. Nobody will help you. So, <laughs> And it's all about class, too. It's all about yeah. racism. It's all about money, power, all that kind of stuff. And how this supposedly will create a utopia world if we just give one day for people to get out those urges. Of course, this isn't true, but this is what they say. And so the TV show delves deeper into it. Like the second season is all about the time in between one purge to the next purge. And that's what's really fascinating about the second season more so than the first one, because you see um, the repercussions on some people. They follow a few people around like, one guy who basically um he's <laughs> basically doing one thing of purge as a as a form of self-defense kicked up something in him and he's terrifying um but so it's a very interesting show i think it can get a little bit depressing if you're binging it like i am so try and take breaks in between it but i i think it's good and i love the movies so i'm excited to be talking about those coming up later on with Bex's co-host, Kim. Yes. She's going to be on that one. As, and she's also going to be on our Final Destination one. And mm-hmm. I'm very excited to talk about those trash heaps of movies. I love them. But <laughs> except for the, the first one is brilliant and amazing. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. That happens a lot, right? Where the first one's really good. And then after you're like, no, you, you should have stopped with one. <laughs> well, they just become, they're, uh, and by tra- I mean trash heaps actually as a compliment. They're very, oh, okay. um, they're very, they're fun. And they're just kind of like, if you love horror and it's just all out. But the first one I actually think has one of the scariest plane crash scenes ever. I'm afraid of flying anyway. And so I remember when I first watched it and I was like, Yep, I'm never getting on a plane. I've been on a plane, but <laughs> that's good. That's I, I good. I hate flying, though. I, I I hate it for many many reasons. But anyway, so let's get into Guillermo del Toro, and we're gonna start with his early work in the '90s and the 2000s. So, of course, this features films such as, like we mentioned at the top, 
Kronos from 1993, The Devil's Backbone, Mimic, uh, Blade 2, Hellboy, and its sequel, Hellboy 2. Um, just Those are some of the big highlights from around that time. And of course, um, didn't of course, the second, in that? The second yeah. best Guillermo Hans del Labyrinth. Toro movie, Hans like, Labyrinth. Why is it not listing it in the 2000s here? Sorry, I'm reading something, so that's why I'm like, this is bullshit. So, <laughs> yes, and of course, Pan's Labyrinth, which I want to say, as I've mentioned before, my mom doesn't do horror movies. My mom loves Pan's Labyrinth. So All right. Yeah, it's, in my opinion, the second best Guillermo del Toro film, but I'll get into that. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's one of my first. I was actually kind of curious to have Susie on here to see because I know that is a lot of people's favorite. So I was curious where she stood in that in that. I, I'm not positive because I think she's, I think it might be the devil's backbone, but correct me if I'm wrong, Susie, but I know oh, she if loves she Pan's is, Labyrinth. we're on the same team. <laughs> I know she loves Pan's Labyrinth because yeah. she's mentioned a lot of the characters and um, actually kind of a, I'm not going to say because it's kind of a spoiler for Barbarian. But anyway, so, uh, so Bex, what are your overall thoughts on the early work? I know you mentioned beforehand that this is, kind of where most of your yeah. watches and most of your memories of his work. So I'm sure you're, I know you're a big fan, not sure you are. <laughs> so what are your overall thoughts? And then you can give a couple of your favorite films. Sure. Um, well, I think the nineties and the first decade of the two thousands are really like peak del Toro. I, those are his best films. I have many feelings about the ones in the 2010s. Um, that are very different from the ones I have from the 90s and the 2000s. But um, the first one I saw was Pan's Labyrinth. I think that's pretty common for most uh, American audiences. And I loved it. I, the cinematography, the costumes, the, the makeup, like the, all the awards that it won when it won them well-deserved. I think it should have gotten more, but um, you know, at this point, when I saw the film, I had studied a lot of Spain and Spanish history in school. Uh, my major was Spanish as an undergrad and uh, for my master's, which I think I had just begun when I started doing that. And so I was very familiar with the historical period of the film, which I think was helpful, not necessary. You you didn't have to know the Spanish Civil War uh, to get it, but I felt like that enhanced my viewing of it. And and so I enjoyed it uh, a lot more for that. The, the monsters and all of that was sort of a bonus for me. I was like, Ooh, Spanish civil war history. Let's go. (laughs) And then like, Oh, the, well, anyway, yeah. The one with uh, the monster with the eyes in his hands, Mm -hmm. the best. Yes. Then I went to, um, to grad school and I actually took a class that was exclusively on the films of Pedro Almodovar who is a Spanish director Mm -hmm. and Guillermo del Toro and we had to throughout the semester basically watch all the films 
Except for Blade 2 for some reason, but I'm guessing it's only because it was Blade 2 and he didn't expect us to go back and watch Blade 1. I don't know. Which you should have. Sorry. <laughs> Which Blade I is have a great, seen. Great movie. I have seen that one. I have <laughs> I I liked it overall, but I have feelings about the the way it ended. Uh, maybe I should go watch Blade 2. <laughs> Just the tone he takes with uh the female character at the end of that first film. I'm like, talk to me like that. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, so we had to watch all of his films up to that point. Well, starting with Kronos and then working our way up to, uh, I think the last one out at that point was Hellboy 2. So I watched all the ones that that you mentioned before from this time period. Although I will say, I think before I took this class, I had seen The Devil's Backbone. And that is hands down my favorite. So I'll save that for, for later. Brilliant. It's oh, yes that that's why like everyone will say oh Pan's Labyrinth is and it, Pan's Labyrinth is phenomenal don't get me wrong it's phenomenal but I just I have a special place for the Devil's Backbone you know I think the big thing for me with these films overall is that most of them are in Spanish Mimic is not and the Hellboy movies aren't but even Pan's Labyrinth and kind of being in that, that being a big Hollywood film, being in Spanish, I, I really, really, I, I just think he, he shines in his Spanish language films in a way that doesn't, for some reason, at least for me, it doesn't translate when he does them in English. And maybe it's just a coincidence of the storyline. Who knows? Um, Just, some like I I kind of thought I don't know if they're fun facts, but some like little things that stood out to me from this period. Like you've got Ron Perlman, uh, he's in Chronos. <laughs> he's amazing. Perlman. Sorry, I just well that's and that's one of Guillermo del Toro's favorite actors. So yes, yeah, yeah he's definitely a, a he's kind of like the John Ratzenberger of del Toro, and not quite, not quite. He's done everyone, but uh, but I feel like he's very well utilized in Guillermo del Toro's films. Like he, he's always perfectly cast for whatever he's doing. Um, you know, the, the, that film, I remember s- starting it up and seeing his name on there and going like, wait, is he going to speak Spanish? <laughs> like what's happening? <laughs> but um, his character does speak English and, um, but he appears obviously in the Hellboy movies and he is in the new one. Right. I think he's in the new Nightmare one. Alley. Yes. Nightmare Alley. Yes. Which for someone who's on a Guillermo del Toro episode, I probably should have managed to find some time to watch <gasps> that one. But it's on my list. It's definitely <laughs> on my list. I promise. I love that. Oh, sorry. I will wait to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> All right. No, I mean, it looks really good. And I have no, like, there's no issue with not wanting to see it. It's just been a matter of fitting it in. Mimic, some fun facts about Mimic. This did not end the way that Del Toro wanted to. He basically didn't have the final cut call on that. And I like watching that film and how it ended. It cracks me up thinking like, well, how would he have ended this film? And my theory is that everyone would have died and the bugs would have taken over. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) You're probably right. Yeah. That that is that's where I like I would have seen it going because it just it sort of fits in with his whole take on monsters and what they're capable of 
So, um, but if you are afraid of insects, I would definitely stay away from that one. <laughs> yeah, and don't watch it if you're eating. The only reason I yeah. say that is for me, I don't like watching things where there are cockroaches and I'm eating. <laughs> That's just but, a me thing. I know there are other people that aren't like that. Like Susie, yeah. if Susie was on here, Susie will watch like body horror films and eat while she's watching them and she purposely does it. <laughs> I love, love you, you, Susie. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like someone gets a bloody nose on a on a while well, I'm eating dinner and I'm like, oh, can't look. Can't look. <laughs> uh, but I I really like the way that that movie played out and just like as they're sort of going through the whole process. It just the end was kind of like, oh, and they lived happily ever after. And it was like, that seems out of character for his films, but okay. <laughs> Um, another recurring actor for him is uh, Federico Lupi, and he was in Kronos, The Devil's Backbone, and Pan's Labyrinth. He's a real big name in Spanish films. Um, he's in one of my favorite John Sayles movies, which is in English, I think it's called Men with Guns, and it's a phenomenal. He's just an amazing actor, and he's Argentinian, and he plays like Spanish he plays Central American he plays Mexican like you give him any one of those roles and he can jump in there I think the Hellboy movies are del Toro's best English language films and that's a little you know if I haven't spoiled it already thoughts on my on the 2010s films (laughs) (laughs) but to be fair I haven't seen that most recent one so I will that's not from 2010s though that's That's true that's 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 right That's true. That's true. And yeah, as I mentioned before, you know, Pan's Labyrinth was it it was very deserving of the Oscars. It did win, but I really wish it had won for Best Foreign Film, which it was put up for, but it did not take that year. I I don't know. I just I absolutely love all of these films. I and I loved being able to watch them chronologically, like cause the way we were assigned to watch them in class was just like, okay, start at the beginning. And so you can kind of see his progress and having, you know, besides Hellboy 2, like having Pan's Labyrinth sort of stand at the end there compared to Kronos, which I would list as my third favorite if I were uh, ranking them. I, it's just fantastic to see the progress that he made, especially when he had some of that Hollywood money behind him. Right. So yes, hands down, no questions. Devil's backbone, absolute favorite. Um, I love the history, the ghost story, the action, the tension, like there's so much tension there. You're not exactly sure where the story's going. And, and there's a literal bomb in the middle of the, the school area, the orphanage area that takes place. Like, and so that's like this taking time bomb almost in a sense that, that adds to that tension. Um, All of it, the mystery, the trying to figure out like, okay, where did this ghost come from? Is the ghost really there? I, I love when they play with that reality and supernatural element. Um, And, and I think the devil's backbone really hits that balance perfectly. I, I haven't rewatched it in a little while, but it is the one I've watched the most. I think I've seen it like three or four times. And, you know, I think the Spanish Civil War is. It's like the perfect backdrop for horror films. It, 
I mean, war in general can be, but um, the Civil War really, at least in in the context of, of Spanish history, is probably the best setting for those horror films. And I think it's interesting that he chose it for multiple films, right? That That it's not just Devil's Backbone. He used it for Pan's Labyrinth as well. Um, and I think these are his best films, like when he set them in this, in this area. And the other, there's one that he produced and didn't direct the orphanage. Love the orphanage. Fucking amazing. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I absolutely, that's one. Oh, heartbreaking, but absolutely amazing. Um, and creepy children are always going to be super creepy <laughs> like that. Oh. Yes. They're they're the scariest. Um and and so Devil's Backbone is also an orphan story, right? Cuz it's it's basically children whose parents have died or been taken prisoner uh during the Spanish Civil War and this is a place where they're all taken in and taken care of. Um it takes place at the end of the Spanish Civil War, which is interesting compared to um, Pan's Labyrinth, which takes place at the beginning. And just to sort of see, even though the films were made in reverse of the time periods they cover, just to sort of see them as bookends to this this war process. And, and I love that the lesson, and I love this in like any horror film, uh, that the lesson of, is that the real monsters are the humans, right? Yeah, they always are. <laughs> they mm-hmm. always are. And and when that's like, you see that in lots of films for sure, but I think this one does it so well because it's the layers of the monstrosity in these humans um, is very, is varied and nuanced. And um, it's just, beautiful i think you did it earlier like chef's kiss it it really mm-hmm. truly is <laughs> yeah yeah it, it really is an amazing amazing um film and you know I, I think it's a running theme for del toro in a lot of his horror films and even his films that might not be considered horror horror um is the fact that the things that we call monsters and the things that we call bad or evil or different or weird are actually not the things that are as scary. I mean, in Pan's Labyrinth, that is not the scariest part the sc- by at all. I mean, that movie is so much about child abuse and about that kind of stuff too. So it's like the humans are always the scarier elements in a lot of horror films. And mm-hmm. the reason horror is such a special genre and the reason it irks me when people say, why does horror have to get so woke? Horror has always been political. There's a great TikTok um, video that that Meg, frequent panelist Meg, sent me that talks about that, how Bella Lugosi and all these people were very, very, very left people. And Vincent Price became very liberal. He was one of the only people, um, along with uh, Elizabeth Taylor, who actually you know spoke out about AIDS and sat with AIDS patients and all that stuff. And that's just one of many things. But horror, you know, everything they are talking about, usually, yes, there are your fun little B-horror flicks that might not have anything that they're saying necessarily. But there's always a message in horror. It's always talking about something. And usually it is talking about stuff 
that we don't always want to face or talk about. And a lot of times it's about how we other people, the othering of people and how really, you know, like any zombie flick you will watch. Yes. Zombies can be terrifying, but at the end of the day, the scariest characters in any zombie flick are going to be the humans because it's how humans react to certain things like that, to certain horrible events and to certain monstrosities and how they turn into monsters themselves, but of a different variety. Mm-hmm. So what you see a lot in what I think Del Toro is explaining theme-wise all the way up to Nightmare Alley, which yes, Nightmare Alley is a remake, but still all the way up till then he chose to do it. So all the way up till then, what I think he is exploring is this whole thing about where do people that feel like outcasts or have been othered by society in any way, shape, or form, where do they fit in? And I think that's why his work is so, so good. Um, and I choose Pan's Labyrinth as my favorite, and I'll start there, and then I'm kind of going, going to go backwards, so I'm doing it opposite here. And I'm only choosing that because I it's kind of tied with Devil's Backbone, but because... Bex chose that one. I'll just choose this one too. And I think it is just because it is, um, it does everything that great that horror can do in the fact that it takes you to a fantasy mystical world. It creates creatures that are very terrifying when you first see them, but there's also some layers to it and some escapism to it. It's got an amazing heroine. Um, It's got fear like up to a 10 and I'm mainly from the humans Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a fantastical allegory about about war and about also about well child abuse is I think the biggest running theme of it and a child trying to regain power of their universe when they don't have any power of the universe and I think he also explores that in Devil's Backbone yeah. too so I think that's another another big theme there and I just think it's a beautiful beautiful film it's beautiful to look at. Uh, all his films are pretty are just gorgeous to watch even if they're not the best film they're gorgeous to look at true um and when we get to the 2020 <laughs> the 2020 area i have one like that um <laughs> uh and mimic uh, the i'll go back now so mimic I, I hadn't watched it before this so i kind of chose except for i'm going to make a confession when we get to the next era of a film that i still haven't watched that i am shamed to say i haven't watched um it's so I so I gave you shame for Nightmare Alley, but I deserve shame too. So maybe we both will be able to cover the no shame, here. no shame. This is a shame free podcast tonight. <laughs> uh, but I watched, but I decided to try and watch movies of his that I hadn't seen before. I did rewatch Hellboy though because I just love Hellboy, and I think Hellboy Two is actually better than Hellboy. Um, <laughs> I accept that. <laughs> Uh, but this was the first time, like I said, watching Mimic, and this is very much a creature feature and also about men. You know, it's the classic, classic, classic tale of men messing where mankind messing with stuff that they shouldn't and messing with the order of things and messing with this time bugs. And, you know, because they're trying to do something good in saving children but at the same time, they end up creating something evil and horrible. And it was fun. It was a fun creature feature. I would definitely not put this in one of my favorites of his. And you could tell, like I was watching it and I'm like, this it does feel like a Del Toro film, but it also feels like a Hollywood film. Yeah. And I don't, and that doesn't always have to be a bad thing. But I think in this instance, 
with somebody like this who's such a, a creative genius, I th you could tell that that was probably really hard for him starting out, and that this happens all the time. But to have that Hollywood system coming down, you 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 want to do something a little bit more creative, and you know who knows what that ending original ending would have been. So, you know, it's not a fault of the actress because I actually think the cast in this is really, really good. I think they do yeah. a really good job. It's just not up to the same level as his other stuff, but I really don't fault him for that because I right. think he didn't have as much control over this. And he and I think that's what happens with some writers and directors when they're young and they're just starting out or they're working in a Hollywood on a Hollywood film. And then they kind of they don't have as much clout. And so I'm sure that's a lot of what happened there. Uh, I don't yeah. know for a fact, but that's I'm sure that's a lot of what was going on. Plus, of course, the studio he was working with, but we won't get into that. <laughs> All righty. Um, well, that was Miramax back when that was that was back when it was run by the Weinsteins. Ah, okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, you know, and and Mira Sorvino, you know, was one of the people mm -hmm. that Harvey Weinstein abused. So. I think that also is something that also uh, that's worth I mean, taking into consideration. He's a very, he was a very he's a very angry, horrible, awful human being. So I don't know this for a fact, though. I'm just I'm just saying that just you know it's one of those things that now when you look back and every time you see that Miramax logo, and you're like, okay, which year did this come out? Okay, this is still when it was controlled by the Weinstein's. And you're mm -hmm. kind of like, okay, uh, this was before you knew about this stuff. So is it okay? <laughs> It's yeah, exactly. You the company from the art. It's kind of that moral yeah. dilemma, right? Of yes. Like, should I engage in this media or not? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And um, and then Hellboy. I love these movies, Hellboy and Hellboy Two. This is the perfect superhero type movies because this is. I don't care. This is superhero. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Hellboy is a superhero, and these are the perfect ones for Del Toro to do because. This is, again, you've got Hellboy who, you know, represents what we as a, and I'm out, and I wonder, you know, with the way he was raised with religion and with Catholicism, if that at all factored into why he would want to do something that, again, it has to do with things that are considered like the darker side of the darker side of the light. Yet Hellboy is the hero. Yes, he's rude. He um, is kind of like, <laughs> fuck you all the time. But he's awesome. And one thing I appreciate about the, these movies and what Del Toro realized, I think, is, and other people may not have, is the sexual magnetism of Ron Perlman. And I, I'm not saying that to be like gawking no, about No him. offense to, to David Harbour. <laughs> I love David Harbour too. David Harbour's got incredible sexual magnetism. So not at all because I adore that man. I, I right. mean, yes. I, oh my God. Yes. Don't. Yes. I, it's I just too David bad Harbour. that that one wasn't, didn't turn out as, as awesome as these first two. We'll just yes, put it yes. that way. <laughs> I'm not saying, and I'm not saying the sexual magnetism because I don't think David Harbour has that. I'm just saying that I've never seen Ron Perlman portrayed that way and i mm. think the reason he's so he's got that is he's got that thing that and this is why i think david harbour was actually the perfect person for a recast because they both have that same kind of thing where they're very much men i mean they're like men like when you think of 
that word, like men with cap, all capital letters. I'm not saying jerk wise or anything like that, but they are just like a force. And they kind of, when they come on the screen, it's like, I don't know, you're kind of overpowered by mm-hmm. their, their presence. And I mean that in a good way. And I think this was the first time where also there was some sexiness because it could go back to, <laughs> it probably goes back to my legend days, but I think the character of Hellboy is incredibly sexy. And it probably All right. be, but I think it is. And I, and I think it's supposed to be, and I think it's also supposed to be, this is something maybe you're not supposed to think is sexy or attractive, but you do. So and plus they're just they're funny and they're fun and it's got that you know wonderful the the effects and the beauty and the look of it and the aesthetic and a lot of his films are very lush and very tactile and this is definitely another one like that um and to let you know if you're looking to watch del toro movies go to hbo max right now they've got so many of his films right now uh, you could also find him on Hulu and stuff too, and and Netflix like for Crimson Peak and stuff. Yeah. But go to like HBO Max has tons of his movies. Unfortunately, you cannot find Pan's Labyrinth that I did at least on streaming. You can rent it, but you can't find okay. it anywhere right now because I made the whole list of where to find his movies. Yeah, you you made that list and sent it to me, and I was like. I can also find most of them just on my DVD show. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to make I, it. For- no, no, I appreciate that. And I think the audience really does too, because we're not living in that world with DVDs anymore. But I Which do we like should to keep- be because for reasons. I do I do like having some of them for some mm-hmm. of my favorite films. Like we we have a very select collection now, but um most of those early films, those nineties and two thousands films of his, uh, are on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and but just to let you know, and if you want to know of any other ones, let me know because I did make a list. But and maybe I'll pull that up here towards the end, just so that people can know where to find some of these movies that we've talked about. But um, it was Pan's Labyrinth and The Shape of Water. I think are the I think Pan's Labyrinth was one you had to rent. Maybe it was just Shape of Water. But anyway, I'll look back on that. Um, are ones that you have to rent and aren't available to stream anywhere right now. Um, you know, Nightmare Alley is available on Hulu and HBO Max, so there's really no excuse. So with or without <laughs> commercials? <laughs> well, no, you can get Hulu without commercials. I have Well, for those of us who, who have the one with the commercials because we're cheap. <laughs> I don't think you have to watch commercial. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I wish I was saying this because there was really no excuse for Bex not to watch it since there were two platforms. <laughs> the excuse. <laughs> I'm just, I'm totally kidding because I totally understand. <laughs> um, yeah, because the excuse is all about time and not about location <laughs> or accessibility. No, I understand. I understand. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. So now let's move on to the 2010s. Okay. And some of the films there. And hopefully they're missing. Um, and it's kicked off. We kicked off. the. Well, this wasn't the kickoff. It was December 9th. But on December 9th, 2010 is when Del Toro launched Miranda Studios with his longtime cinematographer, Guillermo Navarro director Matthew Cullen, and executive producer Javier Jimenez. Murata was formed in Los Angeles to be a collaborative space where they and other filmmakers can work with Murata's artists to create and produce projects that span digital production and content for film, television, advertising, interactive, and other media. Um, during the 2010s, Del Toro directed Pacific Rim, um, he also directed pilot episode of The Strain, a vampire horror television series. Um, also did Crimson Peak, which is a gothic horror film that he co-wrote with Matthew Robbins. Uh, shout out any that I'm missing here because I'm doing this off of here and it's driving me nuts. No, in the before The Shape of Water, it's just um, Pacific Rim, an episode of The Simpsons. Oh, wow. uh, some video game of Pacific Rim, another video game, and then The Strain, Hill. and then Crimson Peak. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, okay. I don't think you missed any. I didn't. Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay, and then rounding out the 2010s was the Academy Award-winning film The Shape of Water, which won for Best Picture and for Directing for Del Toro. And this is the movie that your host has yet to see. It is so bizarre. I do not know why I haven't seen this movie. I've had a long time to see this movie. And it won in 2019. I don't know why I haven't watched it. And it is a shame that I will live with until I watch it. And I, <laughs> I my goal was to watch it this time. And I just didn't. And I think it was just me being, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to pay for it right now. Wait till it's streaming. <laughs> So I oh, honestly you, don't you think you're it? missing anything, but yes, I have seen it. Okay, um, good. So at least we'll have it covered. So yes. Bex, I, mean, I, I know this, I know this isn't as much of a favorite <laughs> era for you yeah. or Del Toro, but what are your overall thoughts? And do you have a favorite? I do. Okay. I do. Um, by process of elimination, but also, <laughs> <laughs> but also I did actually like the one that, that I picked as my favorite from this, from this decade. Um, I do struggle with the films from this era and I was really excited for Crimson Peak because what I saw Crimson Peak as when it was going to be released was that, that del Toro-ness that was really, um, prominent in his Spanish language films being put in English so that a wider audience would appreciate it, right? Or or have access to it because some people are unable to watch films with subtitles or maybe just don't even like to, so they, they choose not to. 
And so I was really excited about Crimson Peak when it came out. And visually, it's super cool. Like the the visuals in Crimson Peak, the the walls in the house and the like oh, the, all the red, the color set, like the color choices that are made are fantastic. Um I felt like this is a gothic novel come to life. Like I was I was really into it and I really liked at least the first half to first three quarters of it (laughs) and then it kind of fell apart for me at the end it really did um I I kind of wish that it had stayed like that haunted house type horror thing and I feel like it went in a different direction right like I was buying into the supernatural and the incest direction you mean (laughs) sorry (laughs) I was getting there but yes yes I jumped the gun for you. I'm sorry. No, no, but you're absolutely right. That was it. I was like, wait, why? Why did we have to go there? <laughs> like, incestuous sibling story, murdered parents, a dead infant, like, all this just, like, weird weirdness. You know, the marriage murder plot, like the, ooh, okay, you're going to marry people, then we're going to take their money, blah, blah, blah. Fine. I'm okay with that. That That's that's all right. Um, You know. It just, it was icky for me. Like that whole element of it just took me out of enjoying the story. And I felt like it kind of had a flat ending, you know, Um, like the, I don't know, spoiler? We're spoiling all these. We're spoiling for everything. Okay. This is, I skip the episodes when I haven't watched things because I'm like, I I don't want to be spoiled. I'll put put like a spoiler warning at the beginning, but just so everybody knows, we are spoiling all of these movies. I'm not going to spoil Nightmare Alley because since Bex hasn't seen it, but (laughs) you can. It's all right. I'm okay with it. But we're going to be spoiling these, and most of these movies we're talking about. They're so they came old out a while that ago. I don't feel bad about spoilers. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> well, good. Because, like, the whole Ghost Thomas thing at the end, like, why? What? Like, let her save herself. You don't need, like, the ghost of your dead lover to come. Come on. You know, like, I. to be honest, I did have to go back and refresh my memory on this because I've only watched it the one time because it made me mad and I just couldn't watch it again. <laughs> I just I just I haven't revisited it. and I'll say I feel pretty similarly about the shape of water I really wanted to like it and I just didn't I don't the protagonist like her introduction really great even her closeness with the the amphibian man fine with that um I didn't see the romantic relationship part that happened from it but like okay we can go there but I just I saw them more as kindred spirits, kindred souls to one another than lovers. And and I would have been content with that direction. I don't know. I I, I, I honestly it's a film. It's make believe. I don't have a problem with like an amphibian creature and a human, but I just didn't see that relationship develop in a way that made sense for me. I don't know. I know you haven't seen this one, so there's not like you can't no, really okay. add to it. But um, this one's one that people are very, very mixed on. It's not just you. Most people, are, yeah, people either. I know people that that this is this was their favorite movie of that year. I know people that think this was the stupidest movie, one of the stupidest movies I've ever seen. So it's a <laughs> wide range of feelings. Well, that's kind of why I was hoping like you or Susie would be like 
telling me like, oh no, this is the way you should, like, if you look at it this way and give me another perspective because I'm open to another perspective, but like, I'm just, I don't have it. So listeners, if you've got a perspective, come and and like at me, I'm okay. <laughs> I want to see it, you know? Um, I just, I just didn't really connect with the the characters in this one. It, there were parts of it that seemed pretty predictable and then other parts that just didn't resonate with me um, but again I only watched this one once as well so if someone is willing to like talk to me about this I, I'm open to listening that's that's all um, which of course leaves then my favorite to be Pacific Rim <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I'm only laughing because I figure this is just by I'm sorry, everybody. I'm not trying to be sorry. <laughs> I honestly did enjoy this movie, though, because I like kaiju movies. I like Godzilla. Um, I'm personally um, a bigger fan of Gamera, who is a giant turtle kaiju, uh, <laughs> who was created to, like, kind of compete with like the Godzilla film franchise but like anyway I I do like that so I I bought into this idea okay we're fighting kaiju with which is basically like the robot kaiju they they called them Jaegers I think it was um it, it seemed like it would be a light good time also fun fact um there's a MST3K episode on a film called Atlantic Rim <laughs> It definitely deserved the MST3K treatment. Let's just say that. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. Like, no, would I put it in my top three? No, I wouldn't. But did I actually enjoy it for, for what it was supposed to be? Yeah, I, I'm good with that one. I just feel like Del Toro's dark films are better in Spanish and his action adventure films are stronger in English. Like, I, and that's... Hmm. Just again, I haven't seen the most recent one, so I can't really speak to where that fits in to that whole category. But based on what I've I've watched, like that's that's the pattern I'm seeing. That's interesting. And I want to point out, because we are going to get some feedback because I've missed some very important films that he was screenwriter or director on here. So um, he wrote the screenplays for the Hobbit movies. I, I'm so oh, sorry. Those are not my, but he was take, he was taken but, off, but of he's that still, project. but he still got credit. Yes. He still got yeah. screenwriting credit though. So I, I, so he has screenwriting credit. He might've been taken off, but he does have screenwriting credit. So I'm sure people would give us backlash if I didn't put that out there. So I wanted to make sure to mention that that's not, I do not like that kind of stuff. I'm not a Lord of the Rings fan. I'm sorry, Tiff. And a lot of other people, but it's not my jam, not my I, kind of thing. So I have not watched them. I never probably will watch them. So just to look, but I just knew that people would say something. And also because I thought this was 2020 for some reason, but the scary stories to tell in the dark was mm. came out in 2019, and he wrote one of he was a writer on that. So yeah, um, I, also that one, which I watched for the first time. 
prepping. I was just looking at him directing because I felt like if I got into the like producing and screenwriting things, I there would be so many to talk about. I was like, I got to narrow this down one way. So that's I yeah, was on the list. I put both on the list. I put both, but um, yeah. of where they were. So um, so yeah, and he also wrote something called "Don't Be Afraid of the Dark," and um, he's produced he produced an amazing movie called Splice, and that was the two thousands. Okay. Great science fiction film. I highly, highly recommend it. And funny little story about that one. Um, my sister and I went to see that. And she thought I was saying we were going to go see a movie called Spice. And she's like, oh, is this about a chef that becomes like a serial killer? And I don't remember how she worded it. And I wish I could because it was so hilarious that I was like, someday I have to write a screenplay for that. So maybe I should cut yes. this part out. So anyway... <laughs> trademark registered trademark <laughs> like, or i'll just cut it out so yes yes but i wanted to mention those because i knew it, it doesn't matter if he he's he, people would come yeah sure no that's us, fair that's do. fair so um, i think he was also producer on the book of life which is an animated film and i know you don't usually watch those either um unless they're for the podcast mm -hmm. <laughs> so um i think that's another one that that's uh, yeah he's good produced film. like tons of things yeah that's the thing a ton of things, so it gets it gets too big <laughs> but well, screenplay is gets... fair to bring up screenplay is definitely you know because that's the creative process well producing is creative too though oh okay i, was, be, I mean use a, you have to be very i mean producing yes producing is thought of as it's the money side is that but there is creative stuff that you have to utilize when you are doing producing as well. I fair think. enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with the industry in in that capacity. So I, I took definitely a class about producing and and it's and it gave me more respect for it. But you also learn, you know, like if you see on if you see in the credits executive producer, <laughs> usually that just means they gave money and they yeah. didn't necessarily have a big part behind the scenes. The producer doesn't always have like money. They're the ones trying to get that and they're trying to have things stay on track and having, the, you know, stuff like mm. that. But the, um, and a producer has a lot of power and a lot of say, but executive just to let you know, that's usually just to give someone a fancy title on there, just saying they can gotcha. shout out the money. Gotcha. So in case you ever are, are wondering about some of that stuff. And of the course, different I mean, levels of producer, of, for sure. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of different nuances to all of it, of course. But uh, yeah, and of course, he did the the screenplay for, well, this is coming to the 2020s. Okay, so let's, oh, I haven't talked about this time. Yeah, you tell I me. I don't really have much to say about this time, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so, uh, uh, um, Crimson Peak. Um, I like gothic horror to an extent. I did, I did like this movie. Um, it was the first time I'd watched it. Uh, and I don't know why I'd never watched it before, but I did know the whole twist of like that the brother and sister were, you know, sisters like madly in love with their brother and they were all they had and they were always swindled these women. I did know that. Um, I do want to point out Jim Beaver is in this movie. And his murder, holy crap, that was oh, oh my so God. violent. His head was just like bashed in. It was, that was, I was like kind of shocked. I wasn't expecting that in the movie for some Who reason. Who had it worse, him or the sink? No, I definitely him, but you know that. <laughs> <laughs> him or the sink? Well, it's a good question. I mean, yep. that was pretty, that was, oh my gosh, that, that murder mm -hmm. was up there for one of the gore. I mean, 
he had no face basically yeah when that was yeah. done and i thought it was interesting little gothic tale i think you know honestly it wins favorite just because i haven't seen shape of water and i don't know what my thoughts would be on shape of water people that i agree with love it people that i agree with hate it so it's hard for me to judge how i would fall on it i mean i know a lot of people think it's weird a love story between a fish and a woman <laughs> It's a movie. I'm okay with that. It just make me believe it. And I didn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't believe that the fish and the woman loved each other. No, I just. <laughs> um, yes, but but Crimson Beak has that as another, you know, creepy love story to it. So it wins just by by default. And I thought Jessica Chastain was really good at it, playing a villainous role. I really enjoyed seeing her in that role. Mia Wachowski, I just want to talk about it for a second. She was supposed to be the next big thing, and she kind of vanished. But, I mean, I know she's done things, but she she was supposed to be the huge, huge next big thing. I don't know if you knew that, Bex. No. And so it's always interesting when she pops up in these, and I'm like, oh, yeah, her. Yes, she was going to be like – and I'm not saying she doesn't still do things, whatever. Um, but it was nice to see Jim Beaver. Um and everybody loves Tom Hiddleston. I'm like, okay, it's Tom Hiddleston. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not as big into the Tom Hiddleston thing as everybody else is, but I'm That's also not fair. a big Marvel. I like Marvel okay, but I'm not as big into Marvel as most people are. So that could be another reason that I'm just like, I thought he was good. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not really a... Uh, I thought he was a good, like good person to cast to get more people to show up right like his casting he fit oh, that yeah. character but it also was big name bring people in oh you know oh he's big in marvel like at that time he was already mm -hmm. doing the marvel stuff right so it was just like yeah all right let's go see for him <laughs> and then yeah. you get an incest story <laughs> Well, hey, we talked about Back to the Future last week, and Back to the Future <laughs> has that in there, too. They didn't so. go there with it, though. They almost went there, but they didn't. They, they kissed. <laughs> they kissed. It's not as hey, bad as Back having a child. Well, no. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> but this is gothic horror, so yes, you know, it's like yes. flowers in the attic kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to... And I didn't really have a problem with that, not like I'm saying I like that stuff but and i'm also surprised i haven't seen uh the shape of water because it has michael shannon and i am a huge michael shannon fan i think he is a fantastic actor um one of the best actors around so i'm surprised i haven't seen for that but also mention of crimson peak is doug jones is also in this and of course doug jones is in he also features in a lot of del toro work of course mm -hmm. he is the fish in the shape of water <laughs> And he, yes, and he's in Pan's Labyrinth. He's he, he's known for doing those where he doesn't look like himself and mm -hmm. those kind of roles. So, yeah. Um, so that one just by default. But I'm kind of with you for some, I think some of the stuff maybe he produced and stuff. But, and I haven't watched The Strain. And I'm surprised I haven't because vampire Me either. stuff is, vampire stuff is my jam. I love vampire stuff. Next week we're going to be talking about We were about just talking stuff. about this, uh, you know, as I was preparing for the episode, and my husband's like, I can't believe you didn't watch that with me. You didn't watch like, no, I know you didn't watch it with me, but like, I think you would like it. And I'm like, yeah, I probably would. I just 
didn't watch it at the time. And and I feel like one of, it's one of those things where like, if you watched it when it was happening, you were in on it, but like, it's not so big in pop culture that like people are bringing it back to you later if you didn't get around yeah. to it when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No thoughts on, um, no thoughts on, um, Pacific Rim. <laughs> no, I'm not going to add anything to that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't, I don't mean to laugh saying that it's not, a, I, I'm not no, saying it's a bad movie. I just, I just made that noise because I don't know why it just kind of surprised me, but <laughs> that's the only reason not because, you know. No, but... it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> and so let's move on to the 2020s, the present day. So he actually has worked on a lot of things, writing and doing characters for like troll hunters and all these like animated things. He's wrote the screenplay for the witches. And then of course, rounded out the 2020s. We're not even close to rounding out the 2020s. Can we please round them out now? (laughs) Look, it's 2022, almost 2023. That's basically 2030, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So going to 2021 and, you know, this is the movie that I will spend the majority of the time talking about is uh, Nightmare Alley, which I have talked about this movie on our best of list. I talked about this movie on our Oscars because of my anger over something. And <laughs> so I will talk about that in a second. So I don't know. Are there anything in this time period? And then if you want to talk about any of his upcoming projects, too, because he does have... um Cabinets of Curiosities that they just mm-hmm. dropped a new trailer and just released the uh, poster for that as well. So that's coming up on Netflix. Yeah. So I don't know. If there's Is there stuff you want to talk about? Yeah. I mean, I just jotted down a couple of things. You know, like I said, I, I haven't seen Nightmare Alley, but please go ahead with the spoilers. I'm okay with it. Um, That's absolutely fine. And you, like you said, it was a remake. So <laughs> I'm sure there are some things I probably should have known already anyway. I'll probably give Pinocchio a shot. I... I'm kind of on the oh, fence. Yeah, Pinocchio. I don't know because Pinocchio is not my favorite story to begin with, and like I really dislike the Disney version. But I was thinking maybe he'd be able to like bring a darkness to it that might make it like like that creepy factor that that could really drive home um, like the original Pinocchio story. And I I do think I'm most looking forward to the the Cabinet of Curiosities because this idea of like an episodic style of del Toro writing, uh, I think will, I think it it'll be a good format for him because my understanding is they're kind of like standalone episodes, right? They're it's not a continuous story. It's like each one is its own thing, and and I think that would be kind of fun to see him do something in that shorter realm again. As far as like potential future projects that he doesn't have lined up, but I think he should. <laughs> you think he should? <laughs> I like that. I Go really want. It. I really want to see him return to the historical horror in Spanish. Um, you know, like a la Pan's Labyrinth, Devil's Backbone. I feel like audiences now are much more open to films in languages that they don't speak. We've seen. We've seen that with like Parasite and a lot of the Korean films and even the shows on Netflix, like Squid Game was huge and it wasn't in English, right? I mean, I maybe you could watch it in English. I don't know. I think you could watch it dubbed. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe that's why people were doing, but I, I don't know. I mean, everyone went and saw Parasite and that was a big deal and that wasn't in English. So I'm hoping that maybe audiences being more receptive to watching things in other languages now, you know, I want to go back to something that I feel is probably more natural for him in terms of his storytelling with the, the horror and I guess maybe just because those are all my favorites, I, I'd like to see him go go back to that. But that's all I have for the 2020s because, you know, the 2010s <laughs> really disappointed me. So and and since the 2020s are, you know, we're rounding just them starting. out soon. Or we're rounding, <laughs> we're rounding them out soon, according to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Dream waiting for me. the 2030s to see what else he's got. <laughs> Well, he's got tons of projects in development, um, yeah. you know, so there is actually a sequel to Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. So you're just curious about Pinocchio. Okay, I, I so... am curious about Pinocchio. <laughs> I don't know if I should be, but I'm curious about it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's got a great cast. So Pinocchio has, um, well, Ewan McGregor, Ron Perlman, the sex beast himself. <laughs> It has another Finn. I, I, I know. I was scrolling through the cast and I'm like, wait, is this going to be my first Finn Whitworth movie? <laughs> uh, Kate Blanchett, of course. All right. Uh, Tilda Swinton, Christopher Waltz, um, for uh, John Turturro. You know, it's got a great cast. I, David Bradley. I, he was um, and he was Filch in the Harry Potter movies. I'm I don't know a if Harry you. Potter fan. Yeah. So, um, but, but. I mean, it's got a great cast. I'm not a fan of the Pinocchio story either, so yeah. I'm with you on that. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Also, why so... is the cricket's name Sebastian J. Cricket? Like, what? What happened to Jiminy? <laughs> also, in the actual Jay original, Jiminy? in the original Pinocchio, he doesn't have a name. So in the, I had to read it for a podcast episode I did once. <laughs> Um, but I'll quickly go back to scary stories to tell in the dark because when I was a little kid, I read all those. Like I read like all those little those books. Those were so amazing. And so when I remember when this movie first was talked about, and then seeing the trailers, and I was so excited for this one. And it's okay. Um, it's kind of, I mean, it's very much geared towards more of a younger audience. I think. So I think for younger audiences that like horror, I think it's actually a good film for that. And it, you know, I mean, it still was creepy when the, you know, spoiler, of course, uh, when the, um, although it's in the trailer, when the spider egg thing on her face, that is still one of the creepiest things ever in anything that always creeps me out. Mm -hmm. I just, oh my gosh. And all the spiders just come out and I don't mind spiders, but oh my gosh, they're crawling all over her. And when... The little close up in the mirror and the little leg of the spot. Have you seen this? I haven't seen it, but I remember the books. So, <laughs> and there's the, but she's looking in the mirror and she sees this little, the little leg of the spider is sticking out. So she thinks it's just like a hair, I think. And so she goes to touch it and then it moves. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. And I'm like out. The whole big thing under is moving and then all of a sudden hundreds of spiders. <laughs> Like all the that. arachnophobes have just like fast forwarded 30 seconds and 30 seconds yes yeah, so if you are oh. yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 that i would i would watch that for sure 
the cast was good though. The the young actors were really good in it. So it was it was entertaining. I mean, it's it's long though. I think it's a little bit too long, but you know, it's almost it's like an hour and forty five minutes or something, which mm. seemed long for for the movie. But you know, it was entertaining. Okay, Nightmare Alley. So everybody ready to hear me talk about Nightmare Alley again? Yes, please. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so. When I talked about this movie the first time, I went on a rant because of the fact that, man, um, so Bradley Cooper, he took over the role from Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to star in this movie, and then he dropped out, and so then Bradley Cooper stepped in and did the movie. And he is so damn good in this movie, and he didn't get nominated, and so that was my rant because he's... Yes, I understand. I mean, you know, you can't feel too bad for Bradley Cooper, but I still felt bad because he was so dang good in this movie. And this is uh, very much a noir film. It's very so. If you like uh, film noir movies, this is definitely for you. Uh, once again, you know, this takes place in a freak show, um, so it's a time. It's a you know, a period piece and it takes place there. And Bradley Cooper, who is in basically every single scene almost of this movie, uh, he comes to town. He doesn't, his character doesn't say anything for like the first 10 minutes of the movie. And then he speaks and he comes in town and he's like uh, playing like a clairvoyant type character. Okay. He's really a scam artist kind of thing. So he goes there, he falls in love um, he runs away. He meets Kate Blanchett's character, who's a total awful person. And, you know, it's it's basically, it's just, it's a noir. I'm not going to say much about it, actually, because I do think it's better to go in a little bit blind with this one. It's a fairly new one, fairly mm-hmm. recent one. But it's basically, it's about a grifter who's working his way up from low-ranking carnival worker to lauded psychic medium and so that is what he does. I mean, Bradley Cooper's character, Stanton, runs off with Rooney, Mar- Rooney, Mar- Rooney Mara's character, uh, Molly, who it was basically like the darling in the carnival. And she, you know, her parents, were there. she grew up in the carnival mm-hmm. and she runs off with him and they are in love. But then their marriage is falling apart. But so they're running these schemes on all these people. They start running them on the wrong people. Um, including Richard Jenkins' character. Uh, so it's, you know, they're running these scams where they're talking to people's dead relatives, that kind of stuff, and taking money from them because they were getting paid to have connections with their, you know, that that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that um, was so common about, in that era, right? Like that, that it's the still fake common. clairvoyance. <laughs> well, okay, true but enough, yes. but. <laughs> but yes, yeah, yeah. And, and this is a remake, like I said, and it's also, I believe, based on a novel too. Okay. Uh, and the ending is very heartbreaking. Um, just heartbreaking in the fact that it's kind of this round, it goes round in a circle where basically Bradley Cooper's character kind of starts out, he ends where he began, but a little bit more of a broken man. And he has the final scene that he has where he's trying to get a job at a carnival. And he's got he's got beard, mustache, and he's just like looking scraggly, looking like he's basically been living on the streets. And he is this broken down man that's not anything like the man from the rest of the movie that you see. Oh, his performance and just those, he doesn't say anything and his eyes are just 
if people don't know, I love Bradley Cooper, um, but his eyes say everything. And it's just an incredibly heartbreaking and beautiful performance that should have been nominated for an Oscar. And also to point out, to go on the shallow end, I have to thank you, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro, for knowing that we want to see naked men. And Bradley Cooper is full frontal in this movie, by the way, for about all two right, seconds. All right. Well, now I'm going to watch it out. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye, Aaron. Finish this episode up yourself. <laughs> and that's and he is really full frontal. It's not a prosthetic. It's really him. So <laughs> it's really not important to the movie, but I'm just throwing it out there just because um, I just you know, I, I always seem appreciate to remember. when it's not just women that we see naked so yes very true i do seem to recall bradley cooper being one of your favorites <laughs> that was He's like a whole running men. gag for for a while right it was like oh one of my my favorite my favorite <laughs> well the running gag was as i said during the first time i talked about nightmare alley is I said, Bradley Cooper, if you happen to get nominated for an Oscar, which he was nominated because he's a producer of this movie and the movie was nominated for Best Picture. So I said, if you happen to get nominated for an Oscar, because there was also potential he could have been nominated for supporting actor for Licorice Pizza. And I said, if you need a date to the Oscars, hit me up. That was the running gag. <laughs> and he never did. The bastard. No. How dare. <laughs> because <laughs> i know he listens to this so i mean i'm sure he does i'm sure yeah. i'm sure christian told him about the podcast oh, i think they there. like hang out together and listen to it like it's like oh, a yeah. listening party that's our theme yes yeah. yes okay. christian's like i am the unofficial mascot of this podcast so he gathers all his friends and they all sit in a circle <laughs> and all of his friends are aaron's favorites so yes. they get together <laughs> and they have to be just my favorite um but the cast of this movie is amazing you got ron perlman like we said willem dafoe richard jenkins um you've got even mary steenburgen you've got kate blanchett of course as we said tony collette is really good in this too uh i i think it's fun and i like noir type movies mm -hmm. a lot a lot that's one of my favorite subgenres of movies so this is not so much a horror film I mean, it's got some thriller elements to it, but it's not so much horror, but I think it's beautiful. It's beautiful to look at. It's absolutely gorgeous to watch. The cinematography is incredible. He, I don't think he's ever disappointed me in that realm. Like the films that he makes in terms of that. I can't yeah, think of it. I mean, maybe great. there's one that I'm forgetting, but like, I just, I'm really, I, even the ones that I didn't care for, I think the cinematography and the visuals were just, amazing because he works with good cinematographers and good mm -hmm. you know he works with good people in that yeah they yeah. bring his visions to life very well <laughs> yeah it's dan dan lostein is this is the director of photography for nightmare alley so i'm glad i got to talk about nightmare alley again <laughs> oh, i'm gonna go watch it just for that 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 just one moment two seconds of the full frontal <laughs> full frontal really bradley it's cooper quick. very quick it's blinking you miss it cut. and i don't mean blinking you miss it as an insult to bradley cooper <laughs> <laughs> i can't i can't I just... <laughs> that's why bradley cooper didn't invite you to the oscars yes, <laughs> that's why <laughs> oh 
Bradley. So we're going to segue now to Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock. I know, I know, we still do not have the song. It's all on me, though. I'm trying to find the music. I will do it. I've been super, super busy, so I apologize again. We will have our intro song. We will. I'm sorry, Finn, that it has taken this long. If you want to get together with your friends and do the intro song with them, you can also do that or record the music, I mean, because Carla's written it, so Carla has to sing it. So, Bex, I know you are playing. Yes. So how did you, which movie did you connect Finn to in Guillermo del Toro's? Well, I actually went with The Strain, so. Because um, mm-hmm. uh, my initial one was like an easy cheat one, which was the Mira Servino in um, American Crime Story and also Finn Whitrock. But I was like, well, that wasn't the same season of it, the same series, so I'm not going <laughs> to use it. But I, I started with Guillermo del Toro made The Strain, which features uh, Joaquin Cosio. And he was in Narcos Mexico with Diego Luna. And Diego Luna was in If Beale Street Could Talk with Finn Wetrock. Oh, I like that connection because you used If Beale Street Could Talk. Yes. I love that movie. So have you watched Have you seen that movie? I haven't, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that movie is incredible. Barry Jenkins is one of the best. But I love Guillermo del Toro. I love Joaquin Cosio and I love Diego Luna. So, you know. That chain, I was like, yes, I am happy with this connection. <laughs> and I'm happy with it because it brings you to that movie. Which well, I, think I wanted to do something that wasn't American Horror Story if I could. Just <laughs> I always appreciate when we don't use I mean, because I've used American Horror Story a ton. But I always appreciate when we try not, when we steer clear of Ryan Murphy sometimes just because it's so easy to do that. And so I appreciate it when it's other other things. So I do appreciate that. And that's a great movie. And it's one of two times where Finn Whitrock is kind of, he's pretty much a token white guy in that movie. And I appreciate that. We need more token white guys. <laughs> he makes a very good token white guy. <laughs> yes. And those are great. I mean, you know, it's it was the second, um, it was the follow-up to uh, Moonlight for Barry mm-hmm. Jenkins. And it's a beautiful, oh, it's a heartbreaking movie, but it's so beautiful. It was my second favorite film of that year. So I highly, highly recommend that one okay well i used bradley cooper too on this one so. <laughs> from one favorite to the next yes. so i use nightmare alley <laughs> uh which as i've already said stars one bradley cooper and bradley cooper was in another david o russell film called american hustle with our unofficial mascot christian fucking bale and Bale was also in the incredible, incredible movie, The Big Short, which have you seen this movie? I have not, but I used it last time in my connection. <laughs> oh, that's right. You did. Yes. With with Finn. And we love that movie. So there's the connection. I also love that our unofficial mascot and our vice unofficial mascot have been in a movie together. <laughs> I mean, I like that you connected all three of them in. You you were like, how do I I get there using all my favorites? I used three of my my dark-haired men all in one journey. I respect that. (laughs) I'm incredible that way, but (laughs) it was amazing how I was able to do that. Uh, so anyway, thank you so much, Bex, for being on this one with me. I really appreciate it. I had a ton of fun and I had a ton of fun 
watching some movies of his that I had not yet watched and then talking about these. So if you want to just let everybody know where they can find you and your podcasts. (laughs) Yes. Well, I live on Twitter. So you can find me at any one of the following accounts. <laughs> um, my personal account is at a single man tier. Obviously a reference to Supernatural. Uh, the podcast that I co-host with my friend Kimberly, who will be uh, on some of the episodes this month here with Aaron, is Big Reputations. You can find me at Big Rep Pod on that one. I also, if you want to, bring in the Spanish language connection, the Guillermo del Toro stuff. I co-host a podcast uh, at Brute College called Latinx Visions on Twitter at Latinx Visions. And I don't run the Twitter account for this last one, but my other podcast that I am one of four co-hosts on is Coach Beard's Book Club at Beard's Book Club. So (laughs) that's all my (laughs) podcast projects. Then I, you know, I also do have a job that pays me too. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where I find the time, but I I make it happen. I I understand. (laughs) You would, if anyone would, for sure. Yes, yes. This is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Send me more connections with all my men on twitter you can at me there um you can be sure to like the show on facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on twitter at fandom thing pod no it's in that one on instagram at it's a fandom thing pod on tiktok at it's a fandom thing pod if you have any feedback show notes if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on this show anyone i have mentioned anyone who has been in any of these movies please feel free to reach out to me by going to it's a fandom thing pod.com. Click the contact us button there. That'll shoot me an email. And I try to be as responsive as possible to those. You know, even if I have a busy schedule, still reach out to me. We can try and find some time, hopefully to be able to make those things work. Uh, and then also while you're on the website, you can play the listener version of six degrees of Finn Whitrock. By clicking the page called six titled Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock, by the time this drops, we should have October's movies and television shows. It, it'll just be movies, and it's going to be all horror-related, of course, so it'll be ones that we've covered before. I'm not positive by the time at the time of recording this what they're going to be, but by the time this drops, which will be Friday, October 7th, I should know. And then also a heads up, tomorrow, Friday, October 8th, we are kicking off Horror Trivia, which is going to be done a little differently this year. So this year, how we're doing it is we are going to have people competing. We're going to have panelists competing against other podcasts and the like. And people, basically the podcasts and the um, and the panelists that are competing, whoever wins, we will donate $10 to an organization of their choice. But also... We are going to do like polls. We're probably going to do ways to submit who you think is going to win, who you think will win that category. Could be a team. It could be an individual like Jen from my streaming bubble is going to be playing on 80s horror night and which is our kickoff, which is tomorrow night. And she's going to be playing individually. But if you think Jen knows everything there is to know about 80s horror and you want her to be your player, you're picking her, then you choose her. And then if she wins, we will randomly select one person that she's been playing on behalf of, and you will win some merch for our 80s night. We are going to be giving away 
some 80s merch that we picked up at 5280. So for people here that are local in Colorado, please go support them. They donated some prizes to us for our trivia event, which was very, very generous of them. They're an awesome, awesome 80s store. You can find everything from horror to kids stuff, everything. It's incredible. And their selection changes constantly and they're a small local store. So go support them. So, yep, and then if you want information about that, hopefully by this time it'll all be up on the website of all the different nights and what's going on and who is participating those nights. It might not be updated until a few days before as far as who the contestants are, but so check that out. Those should be a ton of fun. We're only doing it for four weeks, but it should be fun. So next week we are going to be talking about vampires. So we're going to kick things off we're talking about the sexuality of vampires. So we're going to be talking about vampires and sex and how they represent different forms of sexuality, um, everything from how they are uh, represented in the LGBTQIA plus community to also how it represents women and sexuality, uh, virginality, virgin, <laughs> virgins really, and how blood represents sexuality a lot in the vampire myth and lore so we'll be talking about that and then we're going to talk about the lost boys so that's one of my favorites i used to have the poster above my bed yes above my bed when i was a kid <laughs> it's a good one though it really is i didn't see it till i was an adult but um it was i really appreciated it when i did see it i love it i love it so so dang much so and i got to see it last year at the drive-in and that was really cool. That was awesome. it's like a perfect movie for a drive-in. So yeah. that was that was a lot of fun. And then just a reminder for our other horror episodes that are coming up. Uh the week after that, we are gonna be talking about child's play and final destination. And that will be one that Kimberly will be on. Um a note for child's play, please go check out the show, Chucky which is on Peacock, and it is fantastic. And the new season is starting soon. And it also has a tie-in to Final Destination because Devin Sawa from the first Final Destination movie, who is hilarious, if you should follow him on Twitter, he uh, is in Child. He's in Chucky. So, and I guess he's going to be in the second one too. And then we are, and then we're going to wrap things up talking about the Purge series, and then we're going to be talking about horror films that feature cults. So, think Midsommar, the amazing, wonderful movie that I am. If you want to take me up on my homework assignment for you, dear listeners, please go watch The Invitation. I believe it's on Shudder right now, but it is an incredible indie horror flick. It's a slow build. It's psychological. It's, oh, oh, it is so good. And haunting ending. It's absolutely haunting ending. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.